Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting-edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. I am excited that you guys are here with us today. Remember, we are live. If you want to call in and give Dean any of your comments, give him grief, give him a hard time, super easy to do that now, 888-627-6008. And, uh, and here he is, actually, riding, galloping into the studio on his white noble steed. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the one and only bearded wonder, from the United Kingdom, Mr. Dean Holland. <laughs> I uh, I appreciate that you saw the pace I picked up there as I galloped into yeah. the studio. You were like, "Wait a second, people are going to call in. I got to get there faster." Like I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the dedication, Dean. Indeed, indeed. But it's great to be here, James. How are you, sir? I'm good. I was just uh, I was just enjoying. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I was just enjoying our intro. And I, I think we can still say we're arguably the best podcast in the world. I, I, I agree. I, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree. In fact, <laughs> in all the time we've been saying that, I haven't heard anyone argue otherwise. Right. So it is unarguably. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the undisputed right. <laughs> podcast in the entire world, which is, uh, which is fantastic. So today, um, as you know, we're going to talk about a topic that is very, very near and dear to my heart with somebody Indeed. who has been uh, practicing what he preaches, and that's about putting systems in place in your business so you can spend more time focusing on your clients, less time focusing on the things that stress you out, and increase your profits and get a fat bottom line. So uh, we're very excited to have with us today Dan Capril who is the uh, founder of Renegade Advisor, a financial advisor who took a completely contrarian approach to how he grew his business, introducing info products, building systems, and all these things to consistently generate a million dollars in profit a year or more. Welcome to the show, Dan. Great to have you here, my friend. Guys, it's an honor to be on the best podcast in the world. So thank you. Thank Arguably. You. Make sure you look at the asterisk and the fine print. Arguably the best podcast in the entire Listen, I, I would argue for you. So okay. it, it's there true. Go. You got it. No, no objections here. <laughs> well, there, there we go. go. So um, so Dan, we've got a lot of stuff we want to get into with you. Mm -hmm. um, but before we get into the meat and potatoes, what I want to know is how did you find yourself in this world of entrepreneurship and like, why did you even do that when it seems after you make that leap, was I absolutely out of my mind? Was I crazy to do this? Like <laughs> well, listen, what happened for you? I, well, first of all, I remember a very vivid moment when I did it probably six months in our son had just been born and I got him on my knee and suddenly the anxiety just hit. And I was like, what did I do? Cause I had a really good paying job and I, I said, what, what am I thinking about? And I really, I thought I was a failure for that for about that 20 minute period of time, just because I thought that I wasn't being responsible, but no, I was the type of person who hated meetings. And while I won't say I hated authority, I hated the slow decision-making of authority. 
Yeah. And I knew pretty much early on that I could not work for somebody else. Unfortunately, though, it really took me 10 years before I had the guts to do it. What were you I, doing? What were you doing before you uh, cut I worked, the... I, yeah, I, I did something that if you had told me in, high, in college I would have done, I would have told you you're crazy. I worked for a very large insurance company doing risk analysis. And it was one of the most boring jobs I could imagine. But it was for real. Safe... It sounds incredibly exciting. Well, yeah, right. You know, insurance. I mean, who wouldn't love insurance, right? And so it's amazing, though, how time can go. It goes so fast. And I started there when I got that job. It was in Chicago. And I thought, all right, I'll get this job and then I'll find something else. And it was a good company and they were good to me. And I guess I did the job fairly well. And the next thing I know, I'd been transferred and promoted a couple of times. And, you know, you were joking about my hair. The hair started to come out and I realized, you know what? I'm just going to end up wasting what I thought was my career there. So I finally said, no, forget it. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to quit. I, I had 10 years worth of savings. I had read a, a great book, which I'm sure everybody ha, ha, who listens to this show has read called the E-Myth. Yep. I took the heart and I decided, no, I'm going to start my own planning practice. So I became a financial planner. I, because I had worked in that industry, I knew the, the art of, of being a financial planner. And I think I knew what the business was. In fact, I was amazed how few other financial advisors that I had met, they really were not all that adept in how to run a business like a business. And if working for that big company did one thing for me, it taught me that it taught me the value of systems and budgeting and profitability. Um, and so I was able to take that into uh, my career. And then as I, as that career took off, I started noticing that not a lot of other advisors were doing things the way I was doing. And again, I, I credit a lot of that to the email. Um, and so well, hold on before, before you go down there, sure. like what were the, what were the early days like, you know, cause you had to find your own book of business, yeah. you how to find clients and customers yep. and you right. know, what, what was that part like? Okay. Well, first of all, I intentionally took one year before I did it. In other words, I studied it and planned it for one year. Somebody while you were me, still, while you were still, while I was day still job? working. Right. Okay. Somebody had told me that, that most businesses, if they, if they do it in two years, you're going to have a lot, you're going to know a lot more. You're going to, your, your chances for success grow. So I said, all right, fine. I'm going to do this for one year. I'm going to study this and figure out what I'm going to do. My biggest concern was marketing. I am not the kind of person who could market to a neighbor, a friend, a family member. I don't want to. Um, I was just, that was not me. But I knew I could do one thing well. I could speak well. I was very comfortable on the stage. So I had decided at that point, that's how I was going to get clients. And this was in the, this is in the 80s when the idea of conducting a retirement planning seminar was relatively new. There were a couple of companies that had systems that you could buy and utilize. And that's what I did. So I was speaking at, at colleges. I was speaking at high schools, charging people to come to the workshop. It was taught over three evenings. And so were the, then hold from, on, were the, were the venues colleges and high schools? Yeah. You weren't speaking to high school and college students. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. The venues were college yeah, okay. and high schools. I was like, my God, like there's yeah. high schools yeah, who care about their retirement. That's this guy's amazing. starting in really early, right? I'm getting him young. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. So I was I speaking in pre-K when they were doing finger painting. And I was like, listen, you need an IRA. <laughs> you know, you can never start too early. The power right. of time and compounded interest works for you. Yeah, you know, exactly. I was using, um, I was using those facilities. And then I was using direct mail to, uh, to get people to come to the workshop. They would pay anywhere from $49 to $79, depending on what system I was using at the time. 
And I would educate them, educate them for three evenings. And then from there, if they wanted to come see me, um, they could. And that worked very well. And that's really how I grew the practice because it was consistent with what I was comfortable doing. I'm not, I I don't have an elevator speech. If someone asks me what I do, I actually roll my eyes because if, if I tell them, they actually will start to back away a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, You're like, Oh, I sell insurance. And they just like, you hear the tire screeching. Exactly. So now thanks to COVID, I don't even have to worry about that. People don't even get on the elevator with me anymore. Yeah. I just wear my Darth Vader mask everywhere I go now. And it's sort of socially acceptable, which is cool. It, exactly. Or a good one is made in China, just right across the front. Yep. That works well yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good tip. I'm going to write that down. That's the first tip of the show right there. There we go. They've landed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So, so that's really interesting. How were you, how are you getting people to those events, to the, you know, the physical events that you were having, mm-hmm. what was your, it was just the direct mail stuff? Or was there- yeah. So, so, so there's two ways. One was direct mail, but the second one was I understood that marketing was about building a list because I wasn't all that excited about marketing to the masses who maybe had no interest at all about doing what I do. Yeah. So from the beginning, I started having informational products that they could acquire at no cost just to help me build my list. So for example, if I had, um, and like right now, for example, a very common one that we recommend and I use is one that's an informational product talks about how to remove the taxes from your 401k plan. All right. So I'm marketing that, um, out there I'm promoting that. And, and back in the early days, this was obviously before Facebook. So we would do things like trade magazines. We would do, um, sometimes we would do direct mail just for the, for the book. Um, other times it might be even even newspaper ads back in the early days, um, which actually wasn't too bad because some of the newspapers and locals will actually let you put an ad right on the front. So these people were ordering a free report. They were ordering a book. And then from there, I started nurturing those people and ultimately inviting them to my workshops. So it was a part of that, which would be your, your traditional direct marketing approach. And then the other approach would just be buying a list of people of a certain demographic age-wise, usually zip code, et cetera, and sending them out and promoting the, the idea of come to a workshop where we will teach you. We will not try to sell you. And then after the workshop is over, if you want to have an appointment, you can, but no one's going to chase you down. Well, you know, this is so interesting, Dean, like, hold on, before I ask you, you said this is in the eighties, Dan, this was in the eighties. Yeah. Okay. So this is in the eighties. So Dean, how, how long have you and I been talking about one of the most fundamental things in all of marketing is to build the freaking list. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 it's funny hearing, hearing you say all that, Dan, cause I'm like, well, this, this could be an identical conversation to what's going on now in marketing, right. you know? <laughs> well, and if you think about it now, the ones who took the time to build the list are really benefiting because right. they know that their, their traditional ways of marketing have been suspended, maybe even eliminated. But if you have a well-designed list of people who reached out to you first, they still want to be buyers. And in fact, now they probably want to be buyers more out of pure boredom. So your ability to reach them and knowing that they know who you are, the response rate is going to be a lot higher as well. So when I talk about people doing webinars, it's kind of funny because I see advisors wasting all this money on promoting webinars to the masses. And I say it's waste because the ones I know who are doing webinars to their list are getting such massively better results, Mm. higher uh, response rate, buying opportunities, et cetera. 
but that's because they took the time to do that. And yeah, the funny thing is the idea of building a list obviously has been around since the beginning of time, but people have never utilized as much as they should have. And I think Mm. what we're seeing now is the real benefits of those who took the time to do it that way. Why do you think, why do you think people haven't respected the idea of building a list more than they should. Like, what do you think stops people there? I I think the number one thing is it's, there's a lack of patience. There's a Mm -hmm. desire to always get the one who's hot and ready now. Yeah. And this idea that you're nurturing for the long haul, um, too many businesses, my industry, especially it has, we've been taught to run our businesses like sales offices. Don't run them like profit centers, run them like sales offices. And so it's, it's the now. And if you get somebody who's ready five years from now, but not today, that's considered a loss in, in, in this industry. And that's, a, yeah. that's a shame. That's very short sighted. Um, it's also just a lack of attention to detail. So I think of retailers, for example, this actually should have been a golden time for, for many retailers because their competition was wiped off. Yeah. And if they were smart, they, and I've seen some who were. They could have reached out to the list of their best buyers. Of course, a lot of them don't even know who their best buyers are. And they could have arranged for purchases all the time. I mean, I saw a great example of a woman who had just opened a a boutique in my area in Nashville. And she had opened it up maybe three months before all all this happened. But she had from day one got to know who her customers were. And she was doing daily fashion shows. And she was sending them to them. And then she was arranging for people to just come by and pick the stuff up curbside. And out they go. So I don't know what her numbers were, but you know what? These shoppers weren't going to be looking at other stores. Yeah. They're just going to look at hers. So this could have been a golden time if you were prepared. But it's that attention to detail, that understanding of systems and getting just beyond the quick sale now. That's what I think has prevented a lot of people from just making that the normal way of doing business. Yeah. I think you're totally right about the whole patience thing. Yeah. Yeah, Right. It's like, um, so we're, we're growing a garden right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you just, you know, you put the seed in the ground and then you expect to get a vegetable out the next day, you're going to be pretty upset. You know, I, I, I use that example all the time. I, I like to go to uh, Napa. And so if you've ever flown to San Francisco and you drive up there, there's an area called Muir Woods, which if you've never gone to it, you should. It's absolutely gorgeous. And there's just full of these giant redwoods. Yeah. And I always think about that. I always think about, look, farmers don't plant seeds and dig them up the next day. You know, there's a level of patience and understanding that goes with the system of growing anything. And so you look at these, these giant trees, which are hundreds of years old, and some years they probably grew more than others, but there has to be that level of patience. So whether it be you're planting flowers, anything big, you have to have that. Now you certainly do want to have some things in place for quick wins. I mean, I get it. We, we, you got to eat, but you have to have a balance between the two. And, and too often businesses just have the quick wins. They don't have that spoke in the wheel that's designed for long-term relationships. Because I got to tell you, every marketing thing I've ever done, if I got, say, 10 clients out of it immediately, I got another 10 out of it five years down the road. Right, right. right yeah. But you can't forget about those five people. You know, if, it's just, yeah. if, if you're not going to nurture them, they're going to find somebody else. So like yeah, in my some, industry, they're going to go shopping. They're going to go shopping yeah. with one of your competitors. Or they're like, going to go to that other store. Yeah, right. Completely. One of the things that always worries me as well, because one of the problems I see, I think people just stop their follow up, like, yeah. it, like it maybe after sixty days or something like that. You know, it just stops. It comes to an end. Yes. And like, I, I, what drives me to not do that is the fee. I always think, what if I've done a great job for sixty days, and then on day sixty-one, they're now ready, 
and, and but I'm not there. Somebody else right. is. <laughs> so I think I'm not going to allow that to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the old analogy of digging for oil and then stopping one foot away from, from where the mother load is. Right. Now, in the old days, like the 80s, follow up took a lot of work. I mean, it was we didn't have automation like we have today. So yeah, right. we were, I mean, the light, I mean, the light bulb barely even was invented. At that well, point. It, it, well, we had, we have, we had strong candles usually. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wind resistant were, candles. Yeah. I mean, if you were lucky to get a light bulb, it would burn out in an hour. So, <laughs> but well, I remember back then, I mean, we were literally, literally licking stamps, you know, my, yeah. my wife would have boxes of stuff that was going out. We had all these hand, we didn't even have Excel spreadsheets. Seriously. I mean, they were out there, but we weren't using them. Yeah. And I think of it now today with things like Infusionsoft and Active Campaign. Um, and it's so much easier. Now, having said that, I think a big mistake that a lot of marketers make today is they've ignored offline. So they're just nurturing digitally because it's it's automatic and it's and it's cheap. But what they forget forget to remember is that response rate to offline is is gonna be higher. Um, you know, you're you're not competing with as, as much stuff. Um, you're not, you know, I always think problem with digital is that you usually get the, the worst email address somebody has the junk. Yeah. Address. Yep. So you have to be balanced. You have to be multidimensional. Um, even things like we're now using automated texting systems so that people get automated texts from us. Um, and even automated, uh, videos and automated voicemail from us, um, that can help with that whole nurture. So you want to be multidimensional. Um, as far as you go, but it's so much easier to now. So there's really no excuse for not having that and then not segmenting your, your customer and delivering nurturing messages based on who they are. Um, you either, it's either because of laziness or it's ignorance. And unfortunately both will, will ruin you eventually. So let's talk about, um, let's high level. Mm -hmm. What are the core systems mm -hmm. that need to be put in place? So, so far you've, you know, you've kind of alluded to yeah. There's a lead capture system. There's a, you know, nurturing system. Like if you had to just say, okay, here are the systems that you need to have to really get the job done. What are those systems for sure. you? Great so question, we're going to back up a little bit. <laughs> Thank you, Dean. The first two systems that I always recommend have to do with, with metrics, measurement of results, both financially and marketing standpoint. Most businesses really don't have a good understanding about where their money's coming from or where it is going. So that requires a lot of analysis early on. First thing I do is I look at, I take um, an advisor's expenses and I make them break it up into three categories. What is absolutely essential? You can't have the business if you don't spend money here. What is nice but non-essential? And yeah. what is waste? And it's a, you'd be amazed how many businesses have waste and they're not even aware of it. So what we want is we want to have a system in place where we track everything, not only how is our marketing doing, but also where's the money going, an actual budget that you follow, which leads to the second system, which is what I would call a profitability system. Now, fabulous book, probably most of your viewers have read it. Um, it's pretty much the system that I recommend all of our people go through the profit first system where it's kind of like an envelope system. It's based on the book mm -hmm. by Mike Michalowicz, where you are quickly getting money out of your business for yourself right away. You're not leaving it in there to be wasted. You've predetermined when the year began what your budget was going to be and what percentage of revenue that was. And so therefore, every time you get paid, if your budget calls for a profit margin of 60%, 
and only 40% of what comes in stays in the business. Again, that's systematically done. So therefore, you don't have money sitting around that you haven't targeted. So the first two, you have to get into the metrics as far as where you are. Right. Then you get into marketing. Now, the best, um, there's a lot of great books written on marketing. I'm a, uh, I'm a big disciple of Dan Kennedy. One of the best books that's of Dan Kennedy-like principles um, is by a gentleman named Alan Dibb called The One-Page Marketing Plan. And he actually mm. takes good marketing down to nine steps. So if you've never read that book, highly recommend it. Um, it's broken into where you're first talking about things like message market media. What are the things that you need to get right to have somebody first reach out to you? Then you get into the actual um, lead magnet, the, the nurturing that goes along with it, ultimately the conversion. And then you're getting into things like um, uh, customer support, creating an awesome experience that they want to stay with you, maximizing the value for, for per client, and then having a system for referrals. So that's, that's a big system in and of itself, but that would be the third one that I would recommend. Then you get into a selling system. Very, very important. People want to believe, especially in my line of work, that there are some magical words that you can say that are going to convince somebody to want to work with you. It's not true. In fact, there are a lot of people in my line of work who want to just come to my office and pick my brain, but have absolutely no desire to hire me. And I need a system where I can identify who those people are. Conversely, I need to a system to identify who the ideal prospect is for me. Totally. Person who has financial anxiety and wants somebody to help them get over that. The days of, of magical closes and, and, and little catch sayings, they're over. The consumer is far too wise. And in my line of work, the consumer is well aware that they don't even need a financial advisor. They can do the whole thing online if that's what they want to do. So we can't yep. delude ourselves about that. We have to accept that. And we have to find another reason why our ideal person want to hire us. After selling, then you need an automation system. Because one of the major ways towards profitability is to minimize overhead and staff. So my office is a fairly large financial planning practice by most standards. We manage about $200 million. We work with about 220 families in 20 states. And I've done all these years with just one administrative person. And it wasn't until I started Renegade Advisor and the Advisor Architect System that I even brought in a partner to serve as the, the financial advisor, if you will. For many, many years, it was just me and one other person. And the reason- So you were doing, so you were doing all the marketing, mm -hmm. all the sales, yep. all the delivery, like all the customer support, like all of that stuff. We were, and we were doing it because we were very systematic in how we did it. We understood what was important and what was not important. There's so many redundancies in business. You take just something as simple as documentation. Amazing how many offices I will see, they will document things. They don't even realize they're doing it seven, eight, nine times. When the one email that came in from the beginning was all the documentation that they needed. Yeah. It's busy work. Right. The other thing too, is that there's a tendency to, because there's money sitting in the bank account, of just hiring another person because you think you need another person when there really wasn't a whole lot of study going through as to what was that person really going to do. See, I maintain when I, most offices that are my size, when I meet the, the people going through it, they've got staffs of seven or eight people. And when I sit there with them and ask them, what does this person do? What does that person do? They invariably conclude that they've got seven or eight full-time people all doing part-time work. Yeah, Very expensive, yeah. not a good way to go automation will help you to minimize a lot of that. Totally. Um, and we've come so far with what we can do today. So automation is, the, is that system. 
And then we get into the, really the, the last two, which are essential to profitability. The first one is client retention. How do you make customers continue to want to buy from you? And then lastly, in my line of work, because we are dealing largely with money and investments, how do we make the children of our clients' clients so that when mom and dad pass, the children still work with us? So those are those seven. I could throw an eighth one in, which would be succession planning, because ultimately to me, you want to be able to get to a point where you don't have to sell your business if you don't want to, but you really should not be running it at some point. At some point, you should be considered non-essential to your business. If you do that, you will have maximized that business's value because no one can come in and buy it and you don't have to be part of the equation anymore. And that's when a business is very valuable, which is all Michael Gerber stuff. So ultimately, in the end, you need that last one uh, whereby you can work truly on your business, not in it. So I mean, like today I am in, in the office in Cincinnati, but I live in Nashville. The office itself is in Cincinnati. That's 300 miles away. It runs its by its own now. I don't have to be here. To be honest with you, this week I came in because I hadn't been here in a couple of weeks and I kind of missed the staff. So I just came in to spend the week here. <laughs> right. So wh- which, uh, which one of these systems or these areas do you feel like people struggle with the most? Like, you know, I mean, there's probably a top three, yeah. but like if you had to say, all right, 90% of people screw up this one area, what area is that in your if mind? If it's an established business, without a doubt, it's the profitability part of it. It's the I understanding agree. where their money's going. Totally. Yeah. Whole, so and much. You talk waste. about this a lot. I do mm-hmm. talk about this a lot. It's insane that people will put so much work in, yeah. you know, all right, I got to work, you know, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, whatever, or less yeah. or more or whatever. And then you're like, okay, well, how much money are you keeping? Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, I don't know. Well, when I hear somebody say, and again, this is specific to my industry where we manage money, but I, I heard an interview where somebody said that when he was building his planning firm, he was now at 200 million of assets that he was managing. And he was very proud of that, which he should be. But he said that the second hundred million wasn't nearly as profitable as the first hundred million. And to me, that was like, dude, that's a serious problem. Yeah. The second hundred million should be massively more profitable. Absolutely. And it yeah. was almost with him in the interview, it was almost like, yeah, that's just the way it is. Because if that was true, then the, obviously the question would be, then why did you try to scale up to begin with? Yeah. And how far are you going to grow before you're not profitable at all? Exactly. Yeah. So the quickest way for you to increase more profitability, more wealth for yourself is not to go out and get new customers. New customers help, but really the quickest way is to cut the waste, be more efficient, run your operation more intelligently. That's how you're going to be a lot more profitable and you're going to be able to have instantaneous results. The person who thinks that the solution is always finding the next client, no, they don't get it. In most businesses, that is not the case. Even if I was running a retail operation, to me, it would not be so, my focus wouldn't be so much about bringing in brand new people as much as it would be selling more to the existing people who come in regularly. And again, I'm amazed how little the retailers that I go to, the small ones, the independent ones, I'm always amazed how little time they take to really understand who their customers are and try to create upsell opportunities for them. The smart ones are probably thriving right now during this period of time. The ones who just saw every face as the same old person, just a transaction. Now they're the ones that probably will not reopen. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think of- well, I think you've highlighted like a really really great point in what you've just said in that a lot of businesses are so fixated on new customer acquisition constantly. They yes. feel that the answer to all the problems that they're experiencing is to get new customers through the door. Mm-hmm. And like you and I have spoke about a lot of times, haven't we James, that 
you know, if you're pour, continually pouring more fuel onto a, onto a broken fire, you know, things are going to go wrong. Yeah. Well, and then you have, then you have a situation where your, you know, your, your basic fundamental structure of your business is not sound and right. it's not in place the right way. And you're like, okay, cool. Let's hit the gas now. And everybody's like, oh, we got to scale. We got to scale. We got to scale. And you haven't put in, like you haven't grown yet. Like if you don't grow to a certain point and get all these things in place, like we're talking about here, and then you go to scale. It's just, it's just a complete disaster. And I've said it before, chaos plus velocity equals disaster. Well, you know, you talk about scale. That That's one of those buzzwords that really irks me because it's almost been like accepted as that is the standard for success. When I would maintain that the standard for success is your profitability and quite frankly, your own net worth, that you can do a lot great things in life if you take care of your own net worth. And a lot of times scaling it is not the, the first thing. It might come in eventually, uh, but I have met in my life a lot of broke millionaires, a lot of people, particularly in my industry, who generate a lot of revenue and have very little to show for it. Now, they get recognized within their industry as leaders yeah, because they have huge revenues, but they have very bad operations and they're making far less money than their next door neighbor who has a very cushy job by comparison. So mm-hmm. the next door neighbor isn't going through all the stress that the entrepreneur is going through and is really, frankly, ha- having a better life. In fact, one guy even said to me, he said, you know, I realized when I compared it to my next door neighbor who worked for Dell, that what I really had was not a business. I had a really crappy sales job. All right. And, and, and that, that should never be the case. Okay. I mean, you, you take a lot of risk when you decide to be a business owner. You put a lot on the line. There should be a reward for it. It should be more than just getting the same paycheck as if you had decided, like in my case, to keep working for that insurance company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. See, I knew this was going to be an awesome conversation because we'd agree on a lot of things. <laughs> exactly. Now, <I mean, laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can pick another topic in the future and argue about it, but for now. Yeah, it's perfect. Well, we could talk about how much we don't like Dean. Do we agree or disagree on yeah, that? You like, know, I, I've never met a Brit I didn't like, so I'd have to disagree with you on well, that. Well, there's always yeah. one in every bunch. You never know. <laughs> like you have... In all fairness, you've only known Dean for like 25 or 30 minutes now. He hasn't gotten Good a chance point. to get on your nerves yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is why I'm staying quiet. This is, I'm, I want to remain friends. Well, that's, <laughs> you, know, you know, you, I could get you going on, you know, we could talk about how my, my feelings about how soccer is not really a sport and that would get Dean going, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> short of that, if we're, sorry, Dean football, um, we'll keep it to business. I'm sure we're going to get along great. Yeah. Now there you go. <laughs> So, um, so Dan, when, um, when, when you're working with people, where does this, where does the idea of, cause you're in a service-based business, mm-hmm. right? right? And I think the concept of creating information products for a lot of service-based businesses seems, um, I don't know, just like, oh, I don't know how that fits in. Like, why right. would I do something like that? But you've taken this sort of hybrid approach, introducing information products with a service-based business and help people, including yourself, get really good results. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. If you have a business that's working, that's successful, and, and quite frankly, I mean, if you've been in business for 10 years compared to the average in your industry, you probably are very successful. There is a market for people who do what you do, who want to learn more. And what I did after 
years of people reaching out to me. It's a lot of them wanting, I had met them at meetings, whatever, wanting to come and spend the day in my office just to kind of watch what we do because we were a little different. We were very lean, et cetera. Um, I decided, okay, why don't I show other people to do exactly what I do? And that's essentially what that information marketing business became. That's what Renegade Advisor is all about, is showing other advisors how to have a similar type business, one where you don't have to have a staff of eight people. Uh, You can have a very high profit margin, 65%, and still dedicate 10% of revenue to marketing. You can do that. And so I saw me having success in what I was doing, that there was definitely a market there to show other people how to do it. And I really encourage people of all walks of life to do this, especially if you're an entrepreneur, especially if you have your own business. Look, even if it's a bakery, if it's a good bakery, I assure you there's a baker out there who wants to learn exactly what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so that's how it, it, it evolved. I mean, I, I had studied a lot of information marketing businesses. There's great, a lot to learn from, you know, it wasn't the type of thing where I just came up with it on my own. I don't have, as I like to joke, I don't have an original idea in my head. I got it from somebody else. If I have any strength, it's the ability to implement those ideas. Mm. So that's really where it came from. Too many people were asking me questions about how do you do this? How do you do that? And finally I said, all right, let's create something that people can do. And it's, it's very profitable. Uh, if you're in the right industry, you'd be amazed how much people will pay for the right type of information marketing business where you're providing them not only the insight on what to do and how to do it, but if you actually do it for them, and we did that too, we created an outside implementation team to actually put those systems in place. Yeah, you, you're going to find in short time that your information marketing business probably be the most enjoyable thing you do and quite possibly the most profitable thing that you do. So you created, you created an entirely separate stream yeah. of revenue off of this business. I did. Yeah. Yeah, did. that's amazing. And yeah. so right now, it pretty much comprises most of my time. Because I built the planning practice to run by its own, I brought in, when I started this, I brought in a junior partner, which I didn't have before. I didn't need it before. Um, but actually, I kind of did because I, you always need a succession plan. And that was one area where I was weak. So I brought in a junior partner. She now runs the day-to-day of the planning firm. And I just focus in on the information marketing side. And yeah, I mean, last year, um, which would have been our fourth year, uh, our revenues exceeded half a million dollars on the information marketing side. So that's my point is this can be a very lucrative business if you work it right. And especially if you have the right market. And in my case, financial advisors had a real need for what we do. It's different from what is typically offered to them. So we were able to kind of take advantage of that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Both uh, both Dean and I are big into the information marketing businesses, and um, we do my my company. We do you know implementation and stuff like that. And so I'm you know I'm I'm right there with you. I mean we you know we're teaching people, we're implementing for people, like all those things, and it has you know has the opportunity to be a tremendously profitable, rewarding, and interesting business if if you put these systems in place and you set it up properly for sure. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it's the ultimate lifestyle because you can live anywhere and have an information marketing business. Nobody cares where you live. Yeah. So you can work it however you want. And again, there are a lot of great examples that you can learn from, Um, you know, even to the software you use, et cetera. But I just think that anybody who's been, you know, whether you're a lawyer, a physician, um, like I said, a store owner, you know, things that there are people out there who would love to, to learn. 
and from, and you can create a, a business from that, that depending on how far you want to take it. I mean, mine has become a full-time job because I started to create a subscription newsletter and a lot of other ancillary products, but I love doing it. So I didn't really view it as a, as a burden. I could have just as easily gone with the original model, which was just going to be, here are the systems. You have a, a monthly Zoom call with me and that's it. And it would have been very much a part-time job. I just started liking it too much. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. now now it's like my new full-time job, but I'm not complaining. It's, it's, it's fun. Definitely. Um, so Dean, any, uh, any parting thoughts before we, uh, before we say goodbye to Dan? Well, I was, I was just actually about to ask just, just one uh, question. I was just curious mm-hmm. about Dan, whether the current, uh, with your information side, how has the current sort of global situation impacted that? Have you seen an uptake in business because more people are online or is it gone the opposite way? What are you finding out of interest? Yeah, no, it, it, it major uptick. I mean, I kind of saw this as a wonderful opportunity. I hate to put it that way, but when everybody got put into this situation where the entire world was put upside down, um, a lot of people, well, just about everybody was looking for answers to how is this going to affect me? So again, because we have a very good list in our case of advisors, we were able to um, connect with them very quickly, do webinars right away. Webinars that, by the way, I charged to sit in on. These were not free webinars. Um, in fact, in many cases, the webinars that we were doing had previously been done live, you know, where the people would fly into Cincinnati or they fly into Nashville for three days. And we just did a modified version. We didn't charge them as much, but we still charged them a fair amount. Uh, so that worked out great. People had time to work on their business. But even on the planning side, it's worked out really well because we had the list. So we had all these people who suddenly now were looking at their net worths dropping and realizing, okay, now it's time for me to connect with Dan's office because I've been sitting on the sidelines after he sent me that box three years ago. So listen, I want this to, I want to get back to the way things are more than anything, but it's like a lot of situations. If you're that one person who can find the opportunity, uh, this could actually be a very profitable time for you. If for any other reason, you shouldn't have to spend as much money as you were spending in the past. You should be able to do it in a much more efficient and hence more profitable manner. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's yeah, been fun. absolutely. So, so Dan, real quick before you bounce, um, yep. where can people go to find out more about you, get in touch with you, that yeah. sort of thing? Best place to go is is dancapril.com. So my last name, C-U-P-R-I-L-L. Now, if you go on dancapril.com, you can subscribe for my daily email. Actually, I'd like to call my almost daily email. It's, you know, it's just like, it's just like, <laughs> I like arguably, how you yourself there. <laughs> yeah, arguably the best podcast in the world my almost daily email right? where (laughs) you will get a lot of business tips, um, things that I see and do. Um, And then you will also get a a free copy of my print newsletter. So if you want that type of thing, Um, and then you'll also get reminded about podcasts, et cetera, and you can opt out anytime you want. But if you're looking to, and again, this isn't just for financial advisors. If you're looking to understand how systems can make your business better, um, we get a lot of good feedback on the daily email or the almost daily email. So dancapril.com is where I would go. Awesome. So, uh, so thanks so much for being here, Dan. Um, I, uh, I always appreciate somebody else who's thinking about systems and, you know, putting things in place to help a business run more efficiently, but more profitably and more enjoyable and easy to run. Um, so thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing your tips with us here today. We appreciate you being here on the show. For you guys who want to get in touch with Dan, make sure you go to dancapril.com. That's D-A-N-C-U-P-R-I-L-L.com. 
Thanks so much, Dan. We will, uh, we will carry on here and uh, we'll talk to you later, dude. Thanks James and Dean. I appreciate it. Okay. Cheers, my friend. Yeah, that's awesome. So for those of you guys who are listening live and want to call in and have any questions, have anything that you want to say, if you don't feel like I've been giving Dean a hard enough time today, make sure you call in 888-627-6008. And, uh, and if you guys are interested in having an app on your phone where you could stream just the tips, get a backlog of all previous episodes and everything, our app is available now, Dean, in the app store. Um, you could search for us just the tips and you'll see, uh, Dean's smiling face <laughs> on your phone. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to open their phone every day and see us? I mean, come well, on. personally, like I, I deleted the app because I didn't want to see you, but maybe there's some people <laughs> who really do. And you know, it's, that's their sort of thing. No, actually it's, it's really cool. We're pretty excited about having our own app and, uh, you guys can check that out and listen to all the episodes and, uh, get in touch with us there. Um, so, so Dean, you know, what I think is really interesting is just the recurring theme that every successful business owner we talk to is all about how do I build a list and how do I nurture that list so that I don't have to spend ridiculous amounts of money on ads and I can have something that's a genuine asset in my business. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, th- I think, you know, one of the things I think, because this is what I've noticed, because we've, uh, we've been using paid advertising for a little while now um, on places like Facebook and others, but primarily Facebook recently. Um, and I can definitely say over the years in, in various businesses, we've used that. The costs are rising, typically. You know, I know there's been, you know, bumps and, uh, recently, but typically speaking, the costs have been going up year after year. And I think one of the one of the things that naturally happens is like if the costs are going up for people to get, you know, subscribers and customers, your business has to become more profitable. You have to be able to make your business more profitable when your cost of acquisition are going up. And I think that's one of the things that's being pushed to the forefront now is what do I have to do as a business owner, not just to get new customers, but to deliver you know, a great product service and experience so that those people will want to keep doing business with me. And that applies. It doesn't matter what kind of business you've got. You know, if that's not the focus as your costs rise from advertising and various things, then you will at some point get forced out. You won't be able to survive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Cost of acquisition goes up. You've got to, you've got to get increase the lifetime value of your customers. Definitely, definitely. And I think like, it's such a big thing to be said for that long term approach and understanding that yes, of course, you want to make those sales now. But don't cut off, you know, the long term success, the long term profits for the short term gain, you know, it can be such a big mistake in that sense. Yeah. And I mean, you know, to be honest, you know, this is this is something that I struggled with for, I would say first couple years, I was running my business. It was like, okay, you know, people come in the door, you know, the immediate win, all of that stuff. It feels good. It's exciting. Like it happens fast and you don't, you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, if things are moving well on the front end, I don't need to pay attention right, to the, to the back end. But then you really start looking at the numbers and the impact and it's like, oh my gosh, like how much money am I leaving on the table by not doing like very, very basic and simple things? Right. 
Exactly. Exactly. And what one of the things like because I I think it's, it's so common and easy to make that mistake because you do get, you know, one of the first problems, your problem isn't normally, you know, your first problem isn't how do I sell more to the customers I have because you don't have any, you know, so your first problem is to get those customers. But once you are getting them and you, you, you you've cracked that piece, you know, yeah. to not be fixated on what happens next is is like business suicide to me. It really is. And even if you stay in business, you're not making nearly as much money. And the money that you're making from the existing list or the existing customers is so much more profitable because, you know, you already paid to get that person in your world. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I couldn't have. Uh, well, we also uh, this also ties into obviously when we had Yada on the show, doesn't it? In terms of that, uh, that communication and that follow up. Yeah. No, com- completely. Um, you know, that's yeah. the, your, your list can be one of the biggest assets that you have in your business, yeah. or it could be one of the things that you wasted the, the most money on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's it all, I really do think, and I, I, I've, I remember if we were to go back, say like 10 years, I remember online it, it having this impression or feeling or like this, this market message that, you know, the, the person who has the biggest email list will always win, you know, and it was always like, oh, who can get the largest list? And I, and I kind of followed that for a long time. And I, I've had, you know, email lists into the hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And, and as I look at it now, you know, like I've got a list of people that are maybe, maybe about 2000 or 2,500 or so customers that have spent multiple thousands with me. And like that list of just 2,000 or 2,500 people is so much more valuable than any list that I ever had back in the day where I was just fixated on getting as many subscribers as I could. And it was maybe 250, 300,000 people, you know, and it's all in that relationship and what happens after you get them. That's why I can definitely say looking at it now. Yeah, no, and that's exactly it. And then, the, you know, you brought Yada up, but I think one of the things that has been really interesting to see in watching what she's been doing is there's a lot of people who are like, Oh man, you know, I have, I have this list. I've neglected it because let's be honest, you know, even, even Dan just here, he's like, it's my everyday. Oh no, it's my almost everyday email. Right. But, and, and he's probably incredibly disciplined about what he's doing from the sounds of it. But the vast majority of people are like, Oh my God, I have a list. That's right. And it's been three weeks or three months or, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> six months or whatever since, you know, since I've sent them a message. And I think a lot of people at that point feel um, just, I don't know, like a sense of embarrassment maybe, or, or yeah. like, ah, man, I messed it up. Now I got to start over and that sort of thing. And, you know, there's going to, when you start reengaging those people, there's probably going to be people who are like, who the heck is this guy? Right. And they leave. Um, But there's no question you can re-engage a list. So it's not oh, a lost yeah. cause. And, um, you know, and that's, uh, I'll just, you know, I'll just plug her thing again, even though she's not on the show today. Subscriberreviver.com is like, that's exactly what it's for. It's like, hey, if you've neglected a list, you haven't emailed them, you haven't been like communicating with them the way you want, don't yeah. write that off. Like if if you have an email list of, you know, 500 people, 1,000 people, 10,000, God, like, hundred thousand that isn't you spend an enormous amount of time and energy on that 
And to think that it just has to be a lost cause because you haven't talked to them for a while really is just making the problem worse. Oh gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head of how people feel. They neglect it. Nobody likes to admit that they've done something wrong. It goes back to being a kid, doesn't it? And your parents catching you for doing something you shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. Like you, nobody wants to admit they did something wrong. And so people completely shy away, but you know, it, you know, what's interesting with, with Dan that we just had on, um, he's obviously been, been doing things like this. Like, did he say like the nineties or was I think like he the, said since 1880. <laughs> yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, so, so he's been years. at it for quite a while. Yeah, a few years. And, and interestingly, you know, he mentioned, you know, back then they were using things like direct mail and newspapers where there would have obviously been a lot of hard costs, right? And yes. it's just like we were talking about with a former guest, wasn't it? It's, it's that these days, you know, with everything, a lot of things being electronic, you know, we, we don't, I think a lot of times it's easy to not attach the cost that it took to get that list. Yeah. Like, and, and, and it's so in multiple ways, it's so easy to mistreat that asset, you know, whether it's ignoring it or, or, you know, neglecting it, should we say, or whether it's actually abusing it in a different way of like just beating those people over the head with, you know, five, six, eight, 10 emails a day, you know, just pushing products on them all day long. You know, if you mistreat that asset and don't value it for what it is, it's, you know, it's not going to pay you back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is the, you know, the impatience. I think he, he hit the nail on the head. You know, people like, oh, if I can't make a buck right now, then I'm not interested. And then I, you know, you got to think about this though. If you ask most entrepreneurs, how long would you like to be in business? I don't think any of them are going to say, oh, I only want to be in business for three months. (laughs) right for a year right (laughs) every single one of them man like i love being an entrepreneur like i want to be in business for a long time and if you want to be in business for a long time you got to play the long game right and playing the long game means not abusing and building relationship and nurturing and making investments and adding value and creating value for people and all that stuff. And, you know, you're going to harvest when things are ready to be harvested. Like not everything happens exactly on your timetable. And, you know, it's great to get the quick win up front, you know, get as much of that as you can, but you know, you know, your average, I mean, you're in uh, you know, physical products, Dean, yeah. you know, the average e-com business, you know, 3% from, you know, visitor to sale is good. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if you're doing better than that, awesome. If you're not there, okay. But 3% is really good. That means 97% of those people are not buying right now, right? And it's like, oh, wow. Okay. So if all I'm focused on is that 3% and I'm neglecting the 97%, like that alone should tell you how much money you're leaving on the table. Yeah, indeed. Gosh, that's going to be quite (laughs) eye-opening. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying a hundred percent are ever going to buy, right? But even if you even if you doubled that from three percent to six percent, or you got three percent to nine percent, or something, that just goes to show like the the immediate stream of revenue from whatever you're doing is the smallest stream of revenue, and the the bigger stuff really is on the back end. Um, you know, and there was when I was uh, when I was in sales doing the water treatment systems and all this other stuff back in college, 
you know, everybody's like, Oh, the fortune is in the follow-up. The fortune's in the follow-up. And I was like, ah, get out of here. Like I'm impatient. I'm a college student. <laughs> and, and the more, the more time I've spent in business and working with business owners and just seeing things, I'm like, man, there's a reason that people say that because it's true. The fortune yeah. is in the follow-up. And if your follow-up is non-existent or your investment in your, in your list and in your customer base is non-existent, then you're not going to get the fortune period. End of story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, I think everybody listening should be looking at the assets they've got in the, in where their, where their people are, whether it's your email list or your, your text message list or your whatever, wherever your list is, you know, take a big hard look at how you're treating that, you know, like, what are you doing? Is there a schedule? Is there a, is there a process of what's happening? Cause these are, you know, effectively the people that will fuel your business for growth, you know, so you can reach more customers and, you know, keep growing. So yeah, yeah not neglect and not, not to beat a dead horse. And I'm not, I'm not going to say who they are. Cause I don't know if they'd want me sharing their numbers, but I was hanging out with some, some good mutual friends that you and I have this past weekend and they've grown their business like ridiculous over the last several years, you know, from yeah. nothing to tens of millions of dollars a year. And the biggest thing that I've observed them doing is they are so, so good at selling to their existing customers. Yeah. Like their, right. their revenue is almost double this year. What it was last year in this crazy time of crisis, because they're committed to selling to their existing customer base and their customers love them for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a, I think that's a really good point that everyone has to keep in mind. Right. Cause I think a lot of times people shy away from selling to their customers continually for fear that, you know, Oh, well, what if they don't like me for keep making offers? You know, people, I think, I think it's easy sometimes to think, well, they just bought this thing from me. So I should probably wait, you know, yeah. for a while until I offer anything else, but actually that's the, the best time. You know, this is one of because again, I've made all these mis or many of these mistakes, James, like that we, you know, the opposite of what we're talking about. I've been there and done it wrong. And so I've learned that myself, you know, to me, one of the things I can say from one of my companies is in the first 14 days of somebody buying one of my sort of introductory products in that first 14 days is the prime time, the best time where we get most of our repeat sales. Yeah. You know, yes, we do get more afterwards, of course, but the majority of our customers that move on to buy an additional program of ours that's about $2,000, it happens in that first 14 days. Can you imagine if I thought to myself, oh, you know what? Because this is actually a book that we offer, right? That initial thing. You could easily think to yourself, well, the book has to take a bit of time to get mailed to them. You know, so I better just wait until that book arrives. And then you could think, well, you know, maybe if they read it for 30 minutes a day, it'll maybe take them a week or two to read. So I should wait maybe, you know, a week for the book to arrive, two weeks for them to read. I won't communicate much or make any other offers for about another three weeks. If I thought that, I would be down about 80% or immediately. Yeah. Wow. Like, can you, like, but it's so easy to think that, isn't it? That would be a natural thing to think. Like, the, I shouldn't offer anything else until they've consumed what I've already offered them. Yeah. But I'm, I'm telling you, the data tells me in that first 14 days, that's where the bulk of it is happening for us, at least right now. So you've got to consider these things. Yeah. Well, I don't think any of that's likely to change. So um, we've been harping on the fundamentals here today, you guys. Make sure you implement this stuff in your business. 
Make sure you continue to listen to this show where we will beat these fundamentals <laughs> into submission. Um, we'll be back next Tuesday live, 1 o'clock Eastern. Thank you guys so much for being here, listening to us. Make sure you go to justatipshow.com. Check out our back episodes. Call in. We're ready to talk to you. 888-627-6008. This is James P. Friel signing off with my co-host, Mr. Dean Holland, for another episode of Just Tips. Later. Thanks for tuning in to Just Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justatipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to go from being a hustling entrepreneur to an effective CEO, capable of running your company without being stuck in the day-to-day, visit me for free training and resources at jamespfreel.com. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.